an 8-bit Rocket Studios production. We are the forgotten generation, a misplaced slice of the 20th century when birth rates were as low as expectations for the future. We lived under the threat of constant nuclear annihilation, playing outside, but always inherently knowing the future was indoors. We are the second half of Generation X. We were some of the first to play video games, program home computers, and record CDs to cassette mixtapes. Our generation was nourished by New Wave, Imperfect Punk Rock, and John Hughes movies. We built Web 1.0 from the ground up using our childhood 8-bit and 16-bit programming skills. They call us Gen X. We prefer the vertical blank generation, where magic happens between the lines because that's where we live, love, and thrive. We are Generation Atari. Hi, and welcome to Into the Vertical Blank, Season 2, Episode 12, Star Wars and Atari in the Vertical Blank, Part 2. Hey, Steve. Hey, Jeff. Hey, we're doing Part 2 of our Atari... Star Wars and the Star Wars Atari coin-op episode. We are. Wow, we have a lot to say. We do. We have three parts we're going to do in this one. Why don't you tell us what the three parts are, Steve? Well, there's a lot more of us just chatting. Right. And and then sprinkled in there are a couple other things. There's another long-winded, self-indulgent Steve story about what the Star Wars coin-op meant to me as as a kid and as an adult and then we have a gameplay session that you and i did a high score contest kind of in the spirit of the xlxe podcast yeah a little bit like that on now i thought we would just throw that it out is, it is in the spirit of the xlxe podcast although we weren't drinking beer at the time but no um, but if anyone I... didn't know the xlxe podcast was a great atari 8-bit podcast from new zealand now it's over, and we're sorry to see it go. It was really fun, because every couple weeks you would get them discussing games they played in New Zealand on their Atari, their various Atari 8XL or XE computers. They have a gameplay contest and scores, and they talk about where they got them and whether they were pirated or what games arrived at the stores. And it's interesting when you hear perspectives from other locations about what was available. Because it seemed to me, in the time, they were later in, like, 86, had program exchange games that they were buying, right? Like Getaway in 86, and they were prominently at the stores, which was interesting. interesting. Because, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Because when but I see- anyway, so we're in the spirit of those guys. You can still listen to their podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. It's really cool. We're still experimenting with Into the Vertical Blank. That's why we've got this long two-part episode where we try to bring a couple of our favorite things together 
And I think we're going to try more of that in the future. Well, the vertical blank didn't just contain video games. It contained things that crossed, crossed the lines. Well, yeah, it's not just Atari. Between and the it, frames. Yeah, it's video games, but it's also sometimes not video games at all. And, and as we get older and as podcasts start covering later years, sometimes the video games fall away. And there's some other things we want to talk about, but it sort of comes back to you know. So what? I noticed it's something. Kind of there. I noticed something about our description of the vertical blank that is a little bit off, and I I should have known this two years ago or a year ago, but the vertical blank happens once per frame. The horizontal blank happens between each line. Yes, yes. So, so the not vertical between the lines or between, it's between the frames. The lines. So here it is. Here it is. Let's let's go back and explain that. The horizontal blank is between each line. The vertical blank is actually at the bottom of the screen. Between each frame. Between each frame. Right. But a horizontal blank is really a not a great in fact, horizontal blank sounds like a euphemism for for, you know, something coitus. Right. So let's do the horizontal blank. Yeah. <laughs> Full sounding name. Yeah, I know. I think vertical. It still works. It still works. The I mean, vertical blank is there's there's two there's there's the, there's the space at the end before the frame is written, and there's a space at the beginning after the frame is starting to be written. After the last line of the frame, before the first line of the next, that's still between the lines. Right. Right. You're right. Right. It's not between every line. It's a time you have after you write the last line to do a bunch of calculations. And you'll notice there are Atari VCS games that don't use up the whole screen. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And that's because they needed those lines to do a bunch of calculations. There's also Atari VCS games that don't use all the horizontal width for the exact same reason. Right. You're so, right. They can't. They, they don't have enough color clock. So they kind of split the width at a certain they stop at a certain place so they can do things on the screen. Right. RST was the same way in a different manner. Um, they needed to make the screen size a little smaller so that they could fit all the animation in the amount of time they had. I mean, yeah, that's the vertical blank, you know, technically, but I think in the spirit of the vertical blank, we have been the rules a little bit. Because the vertical blank period, wherever it is, between the lines or between the frames, it, it feels like our generation X as well as us personally and some of the things that we did were always somewhere between the lines yeah exactly. and and i don't know exactly how to on the outside looking in between the lines well um, if you were a computer or video game user before the nintendo or the genesis hit you really were between the lines i mean yeah. realistically um, it just was that way, you know, and you and I made a lot of like musical choices that put us between the lines, right? Sure. Like, I'm playing Luke Skywalker in all those games, right? right. I am, he is me and I am him in those games up until you actually play him in the Star Wars game. I, I didn't realize how much of my identity as a kid was tied around that character but not the character itself the I, I guess the idea yeah, of the character. I understand what you're saying and so when I saw Luke die in that movie or whatever I mean, happened a whiny to farm boy so it's not it's not like you're like it's not the actual person no it's just the fact that that he was your 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 way to take this adventure or something and it was the right. most amazing thing I'd ever seen and then I wanted to play him and be him but not him just the idea of him and then the idea of him blew up in that 
in that. Well, I'd say the, the idea of he, you know he starts uh, he's a kid and he's a hero, and um, you don't know how old he is, but you can even when you're a kid you can identify with like having chores to do with mom and dad, even though it's his uncle and aunt, and then suddenly you're whisked off into this adventure. You know, Ready Player One kind of does the same thing, right? And then suddenly everything changed about the way with like, video games and movies and things and you were still stuck in that world and then all the way up until a couple like a couple years ago and then it's like why didn't you ever get the gang back together oh my god why didn't together? they ha- why wasn't there one minute in these two new movies they made where all where all the characters just like, could be could in the nobody same... have thought of that they, they made they remade star wars for the fir- first movie and they d- never having all four of them all five of them what am i thinking it's chewy Han, yeah whatever Luke, all and, like, of, and, the, and the droids too together. And the droid, like, yeah, so all seven of them back together. It just didn't happen. It's like, how did you possibly make two movies where they weren't alive? I'm not saying it can't happen. They can have, like, holograms of them, forced lives, ghosts, or whatever. It doesn't matter. I wanted all of them together kicking ass for one part of these movies. Not to see angsty dude from the girls' show and... um. You know, I mean, he's cool and he does a great job, but I mean, I thought, by the way, when you said angsty movie? dude from the girl show, I thought you're talking about Luke Skywalker in the in Last oh, Jedi because angsty dude from the girls. Yeah, I meant the, uh, <laughs> Adam uh, Driver. Yeah, Adam Driver. Anyway, he's great, but I'm just saying, like, why not have them all back together again for a second? Just a scene yeah. of them sitting around a table drinking, drinking grog. I don't care, but it'd been better for them to fight, do something. Yeah. And my my guess would be if they wanted to do it right for the next movie, they're not and they're not going to. You would have a force ghost of Han and Luke and Leah coming out and kicking some ass. I got one more part of my story to read about about us playing the game, uh, the Star Wars game. <laughs> Eight tokens for a dollar. Part one. Our mythological conduit. What I'm about to say is only backed up by anecdotal research and my own experiences, so please take it as presented with all the grains of salt you can muster. Here it goes. For my money, the start of the late 70s golden age of the arcade, the one with Frogger, Donkey Kong, Centipede, and Pac-Man, did not begin in the arcade or amusement space at all. It did not begin with Pong or Tank or even with my beloved Breakout or Asteroids. Instead, it began on the movie screen. When Star Wars was released in 1977, it changed everything for me as a kid and for many kids just like me. Star Wars was high fantasy and at seven years old, it became mythology, changing me in ways that I'm still discovering as an adult. At the same time, it also affected the film industry, the licensed toy industry, and I believe the coin-operated game industry as well. In short, the impact of Star Wars resonated across the youth landscape like few things before it. To me, the advent of Star Wars and the advent of video games are both inexorably tied to one another. In 1977, I would lie awake at night trying to imagine all of Star Wars in my mind. The battles, the spaceships, the heroes, and everything in between. I only saw the movie 
in theaters once in its initial run. The next time I saw it was in 1980, just before Empire Strikes Back was released. And without return visits, videotapes, or anything else, I had to rely on my imagination and basic consumer products like Topps trading cards, DC comic books, and the story of Star Wars LP to fill in the gaps. Myself, my brother, our friends, all wanted to somehow relive the magic of that movie and the feelings it evoked in us. But that ability was in short supply. Since the Kenner Star Wars toys were delayed until mid-1978, there was room for something else substantial to take their form and place. For me, the place was the Golden Age Arcade, which provided an actual location to live out my newly developed need to play in a myth-based fantasy world like Star Wars. The form arrived in our local Castle Park Arcade in the summer of 1978, and it was just as popular in my hometown as everywhere else in the world. It was a game named Space Invaders. On the surface, Space Invaders was nothing like Star Wars. Nowhere in Star Wars do legions of alien invaders trample down on defense bases to crush a lone defending gun emplacement. But Space Invaders had one amazing thing going for it. It was set in space, which just so happened to be the very same location myself, my brother, and many of our friends wanted so desperately to occupy. Kenner missed their toy rollout of Christmas 1977, and most kids who were lucky enough to receive actual Star Wars toys as gifts would not get them until Christmas 1978, or even later. We got our first figures for our birthday in 1979. This left many months for our imaginations to run wild, and for many of us, our imaginations ran wildly into the arms of Space Invader. Even when we were able to finally actually play Star Wars with real toys, video games had left their indelible mark. For me, in an arcade, it did not matter what game I was playing. In my mind, I was nearly always playing Star Wars. Games had become a surrogate interactive conduit into the mythological world of Star Wars that I could otherwise have no other way. Every time I played a game, in the back of my mind, I was Luke Skywalker, and I was fighting the Empire. That infuriating star castle was the Death Star to me. Every berserk, frenzy, or Robotron robot, a faceless stormtrooper to mow down with my blaster. It did not matter if it was a small triangle shooting asteroids, or a squat red and white space cruiser blasting space bugs in Galaxian. Somewhere in my subconscious, I was in a trench, firing my last proton torpedoes at the Death Star exhaust port, and force willing, not impacting on the surface. As the years of the Golden Age Arcade wore on, more and more space-themed games were created and released in the arcades, and curiously, none of them were based directly on Star Wars. Asteroids, Asteroids Deluxe, Space Duel, Galaxian, Galaga, Mooncresta, Starhawk, Defender, Stargate, Space Dungeon, and Star Castle, just to name a few. What these games did have in common was this. They were all fatalistically existential battles that could never be won by the player no matter how hard they tried. The nature of arcade games was that they were battles to ultimately be lost. We accepted this as truth. All of us kids knew, even if it was deep on our subconscious, that we were all doomed to future nuclear apocalypse. Individual battles might be won, but the war was over before it started. This was in opposition to Star Wars, wherein the heroes won the day in very satisfying fashion, and even received medals at the end of the movie. Sorry, Chewie. In the arcade, unless I was playing Galaga, 
I never got any medals. Instead, we were trained that these video game space battles were a lost cause. We might get our names on the high score list, but that was after we finally lost the game. Your name on a high score list? How is that just not a high-tech epitaph to your ultimate demise? But then, something curious happened. After almost six years of waiting, right after the final planned Star Wars movie, Return of the Jedi, was released in theaters, my chance arrived to actually play Star Wars. In the summer of 1983, a game appeared in our local arcade named Star Wars The Arcade Game. When I saw it, I also saw that it was emblazoned with my beloved Atari's logo. Atari made a game about Star Wars, I said to myself, as I passed the machine to exchange my $2 for tokens, only to return to its side and watch the teenagers playing the game. The coin-op was mesmerizing to behold. A 3D first-person battle against Imperial TIE Fighters as you tried to blow up the actual Death Star. At once I knew I had to play the game, and I'm not exaggerating when I say that after that moment, the arcade would never be the same. Part 2. Our Finest Hour. For half a decade, ever since playing Space Invaders for the first time in 1978, the arcade had been a place of beauty and excitement for my brother and I. In truth, the arcade did not even have to be an actual business dedicated to coin-operated games. It could be any space that had arcade games to play. Liquor stores, pizza parlors, drug stores, ice cream shops, malls, donut shops, grocery stores, even the basement of Sears could suffice as an arcade. It was the feeling it created, the emotions, excitement, accomplishment, failure, drive to try one more time, more than the space itself and it was a place I desperately wanted to be. Having said that, there's something very special about an actual Golden Age arcade, a large space dedicated almost exclusively to video games, and how it appealed to my sensibilities as a coming-of-age teenager. Just the names of the local Golden Age arcades lighted a sense of wonder inside me. Aladdin's Castle, The Rocket, Time Out, Castle Park, The Fun Factory, Magic Pizza, Westworld, and the magnificent Disneyland Starcade, just to name a few. Yes, at 13 years old, the arcade was the place I wanted to be, and the summer of 1983 was my finest hour at the arcade. When I think about it, maybe it was my finest hour as a kid ever. It was also pretty much my last hour as a kid. For my brother and I, it was the summer between 7th and 8th grade. I did not have to worry about high school yet, and certainly not college. I did not have a computer yet, so I wasn't pushing myself to learn how to program one on a daily basis. Dating girls was still a far-off proposition, and even if it was not, fear that my dad would make fun of me about it was reason enough to put it off all until another day. 1983 was also the summer I started watching music videos in earnest on the local video show, Video One. I was struck by the young and fresh faces in music videos that I had not experienced before. Music videos allowed me to look at women and not feel Catholic guilt or my dad's prying eye. Cruel Summer by Bananarama, Girls Just Want to Have Fun by Cindy Lauper, Masquerade by Berlin, They Don't Know by Tracy Ullman, Burning Up by Madonna. The women in those videos look exotic and sophisticated, totally different than my kid TV obsessions like Dana Plato and Lisa Welchel. This is also the summer that the local Castle Park was offering eight tokens for a dollar, which meant two dollars which were two hours worth of enjoyment at my 1983 rate of token consumption. My mom would drop my brother 
myself and our friends Wesley and or Eric off for a couple hours, and we were free to do anything we wanted. We play our old favorites, Asteroid, Space Duel, Galaga, Zaxxon, Swimmer, and even newer games like Xevious and my then current addiction, Time Pilot. If we had any extra money, we'd buy a churro or icy to share from the snack bar. Out of the domineering, watchful food eye of my dad, the skeptical gaze of my sisters, and the protective shield of my mom, the whole experience felt like emancipation incarnate. When we ran out of tokens, we would check coin returns, look over the shoulders of people playing laser disc games, be amused at what seemed like a complete waste of time and money, or wait by the pinball machines to see if a naive player matched and didn't know what it meant so we could take over their free game. The arcade was my place to thrive and feel free. It instilled intense and joyous feelings at a time in my life when those were in very short supply. Feelings of exhilaration at finding a new game, satisfaction at mastering one more level, and even fear. Fear of not doing well, fear of running out of money before our time was up. Fear of the older teenage kids who would place their quarters along the cabinet marquee, obscuring for a split second the video screen you were trying to negotiate. This signified not only their on-deck position as the next jockey of that particular machine you were playing, but also that somehow your right to play said game at all was being overturned by their age outranking eminent domain. Sometimes when there's no one watching or waiting for a game, the arcade could become a place of solace where you could just be yourself by yourself and not have anyone judging you. Games could become a refuge and a place where victory seemed possible, even if everything outside of the game told you it wasn't. Since there was no up-to-the-minute publication that described new games, you needed to actually go to the arcade to discover them. So the day I walked into Castle Park and saw the Star Wars arcade game staring back at me, it was a revelation. It was a total surprise, and I was ready for it. I had seen Return of the Jedi earlier that summer, and like many kid-oriented things of my youth, I was not thrilled by it. It was okay, but really it felt like more of the same. Every time I went to a movie theater, I wanted to recreate that incredible feeling of seeing Star Wars for the first time, but after six years of trying, it had never happened. Yet here, standing before me, was the chance to finally recreate the magic of Star Wars, to become Luke Skywalker, fly through hordes of TIE fighters, dip into the trench, dodge ground-based laser cannons, and use the force to drop a couple proton torpedoes into the exhaust port and blow up the Death Star. It was the actual event that had been playing in my head for six years, but now I could play it out for real. I waited my turn, and when the machine was open, I dropped a couple tokens in, and the magic unfolded. The controls were easy to manipulate. The fire buttons were placed right where your index finger would naturally wrap around the half-steering-wheel-shaped controller. You could fire as many lasers as you wanted. No need to worry about energy or overheating. This was Star Wars. Actual Star Wars music blared from the game's speakers. It was like no game I could recall before. The music appeared to match the gameplay, like it was playing for me and scoring my own actions. On my first game, I did not realize that you could shoot the asterisk-shaped fireball shot from the TIE Fighters, and my game ended before I reached the Death Star. I watched over the shoulder of the next guy playing and saw him actually concentrate on the enemy fire, not the ships themselves. By doing that, he's able to both defend his ship and shoot down the Imperial ships. I noted that strategy for my next game. On my next two tokens, I fought through the onslaught of TIE Fighters guarding the Death Star by using the shoot the fireball strategy, and soon I was inside the trench gunning towards the exhaust port. My shield counter read 5, which meant I could get hit a few more times before my game was over. 
Shooting the TIE fighters themselves was nothing short of exhilarating. They did not just explode as you might expect from a video game at the time. Instead, they blew apart, the stabilizers and parts of the cockpit falling in what looked like random directions. It was, without a doubt, the most satisfying video game kill experience ever created, at least up until that time. The exploding TIE fighters reminded me of the hundreds of pencil drawings I made back in the second and third grade of elaborate space battles between TIE fighters and X-Wings. It was like my drawings and my very own imagination had come to life right before me. At one point, the TIE fighters appeared to fall back to the Death Star, and an assembled Luke Skywalker said, This is Red 5, I'm going in. As I arrived in the trench, Obi-Wan said to the game speakers, Use the Force, Luke, which I later learned meant to not shoot. But to me at the time, it meant only one thing. I was Luke Skywalker. Let me say that again. I was Luke Skywalker. <laughs> I spent so many years and so much of my youth imagining and playing Star Wars in all the abstract ways available to me. All of it, the comics, the records, trading cards, the Christmas special, wrapping paper roll, lightsabers, movie sequels, the action figures, the Millennium Falcon, the Death Star playset, basic Lego spaceship creations, and all the video game surrogates I'd played with Star Wars in mind. All of those things were with me as I gunned it down that trench towards the exhaust port. I was so transfixed on trying to find the final target to shoot that I didn't notice the fireballs coming at me. While the game was mostly on rails, you did have some wiggle room in the trench where you could move side to side and up and down to dodge obstacles. I tried this, but I still got hit. I watched my shield counter drop from 5 to 4 to 3 to 2 before I caught on and started shooting the fireballs and the guns that were shooting them instead of trying to dodge them. I did not know what the exhaust port would look like. I failed to memorize it from the games I watched as I was mesmerized by the game itself and the shoot the fireball strategy. All of a sudden, an area of the trench appeared with tons of guns on either side, but they were not firing, and I felt like something was happening. Yahoo! You're all clear, kid, came Han Solo's voice through the game speaker, and I saw a rectangle on the floor of the trench before me. I did not know what to do, so I shot furiously at that floor, and I did it. The game view pulled back from the Death Star. Then, the deadly space station exploded in brilliant, satisfying circles of light. Red. Blue. White. I blew up the Death Star. I didn't hear it on a record. I didn't imagine it by squinting my eyes to the bedroom light. I didn't draw it on notebook paper. Or I didn't pretend to do it while playing Asteroids and Galaga. I did it for real. Well, as real as possible. And something ended for me right then and there. It was an unexpected turn of events I did not imagine would ever happen. Right then, I no longer needed Star Wars. I no longer needed Luke Skywalker to be my avatar. What I had wanted so badly as a kid was now not quite as important. So I buried him, far and deep in the back of my mind. The arcade finally gave me what I wanted, and then I grew up quickly. I was never obsessed with an arcade video game after the Star Wars arcade game. In a very real way, my childhood was over. I was done playing Star Wars. I was done pretending and imagining I was a space hero that saved the universe. Playing Star Wars was now not a fantasy at all. It was a reality that no longer required me to make a mental jump from the game I was playing to the universe I so wanted to inhabit. The promise had been fulfilled. The rich Star Wars universe that kept me awake at night as a seven-year-old boy now seemed like a tired old toy compared to the relative excitement of MTV, New Wave, and burgeoning 80s teen culture. Playing the Star Wars coin-up game and succeeding while playing in the guise of Luke Skywalker was a catalyst and a true transcendental experience that transformed me from a kid into a teenager and only cost four tokens to make it happen. 
The summer of 1983 was a wonderful time, and my brother and I were blissfully unaware of what it all meant to us. The next summer we'd be filled with fear of the unknown of high school and growing into adults. Soon, Atari would be a shadow of its former self, and Star Wars would become a punchline. Everything we knew and loved about our childhood would pretty much be buried along with them. The Golden Age Arcade, Atari, and Star Wars became a world whose services we no longer required. I did not realize the importance of Star Wars and the Star Wars coin-op to my childhood growth until I watched The Last Jedi in December 2017. After the movie, I got out of my seat and I started crying. I was weeping for Luke Skywalker, who I'd just seen die on screen. But I was not weeping for him in the movie. It was something else I was crying for. I had buried Luke Skywalker in the back of my mind that day in 1983 when I, playing as Luke, managed to destroy the Death Star in the Star Wars coin-operated arcade game. But I suppose he, or the idea of him, lived inside me all that time. He was part of me, even though I didn't know. In life, I suppose I had become his avatar of sorts. Not like I was possessed, but that the the ideals and actions of his hero's journey I taken as part of my own identity. I did not need to see him die. To me, he lived forever, shooting TIE fighters, flying into the trench, and then blowing up the exhaust port with a couple of well-placed proton torpedoes thanks to the Force. I was so overwhelmed with grief that day that it got me thinking about how important the lessons of Star Wars had really been to me as a kid. Star Wars taught me that the little guy, the guy from nowhere, with nothing, could succeed and save the universe. Later movies might have polluted this message with backstories about chosen ones and prophecies, but that was static to me. The lessons of the first Star Wars movie, the one I saw with my dad, my mom, and my twin brother in the summer of 1977, those lessons were all that mattered. I looked back and I realized it was a classic and cliched, yet no less true lesson. If Luke could blow up the Death Star and succeed, then by extension, so could I. But when I was 13, I had no understanding of this at all. However, as the tears flowed that day in December 2017, it all began to clear up for me. That day I saw Luke Skywalker die on the movie screen, my childhood died with him. Not in a bad way, like George Lucas killed my childhood, but in a different way. Not necessarily a good way, but still totally necessary. Dad was gone, I just buried my mom, and would soon have to move 52 years of living out of my childhood home. It was time for me to finally grow up. I needed to process 1983 once and for all. Seeing Luke Skywalker fade away on screen was a jolt I needed to take that first step. I think people tend to not recognize when they were living in the best times of their lives. We believe the future holds something better, that there is a greater meaning and bigger fulfillment just around the corner. And yeah, sometimes that's totally true, but also maybe there are times that are just better than others. Years that define everything, but you're too deep into it at the time to understand what is happening. When you're a kid, it's impossible to imagine they were living at a perfect age and a perfect time that allows you to enjoy something so fully that it leaves an indelible mark on you for the rest of your life. The era of Atari, Star Wars, and the Star Wars coin operative game were that for me. But when I stopped crying that day after seeing The Last Jedi and started thinking, I realized I needed to let go of that era as a child saw it and begin to process what it means to me as an adult. And thus was born this podcast, Into the Vertical Blank, and my drive to contextualize my childhood and discover its effects 
both good and bad on me as a grown husband and father. Like I said at the beginning, in 1977, Star Wars changed everything for me as a kid and gave me a fantasy life worth living. Years later, Atari made that fantasy a reality at a perfect time and by extension helped make me into the person I am today. How or why this happened is beyond my comprehension, but it's the exact sort of mystery that fits perfectly right inside the vertical blank. Okay, so just to point out, I can't remember falling in love with an arcade game after Star Wars Arcade Game came out. I know I played them. I know I played, I saw Marble Madness, and I know I played uh, Paperboy, which is a great game, but also one of the hardest games I've ever made. And I remember one arcade game. What? That I totally fell in love with after that. We were seniors in high school. It was 1988. We went with a bunch of our friends to um, Magic Mountain, Six Flags Magic Mountain. Uh-huh. In the arcade there, they had R-Type. I saw oh, R-Type yeah. and said, oh my God, what is this? Video games have been reborn. Shooting video games are reborn. You get extra weapons. Like That wasn't even a thing I thought about. Look at all the stuff that's flying out of your ship. That's, <laughs> that's Star Wars, right? Like, I mean, you know, so, so to me, that well, was the game. To just... me, every game, every horizontal or vertical shooting game is R-Type. And it was the net genre that I hadn't seen yet, right? I'd seen Super Mario Brothers games. I had seen uh, game, like action adventure style games. I know Me- uh, Metroid is like the one that NES people talk about, but realistically, <coughs> we had seen an impossible mission, you know. Right, but but and, I but I contend, even though you loved R Type, I mean, it, it was very close to what you play on Nintendo. Like arcade games themselves. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying the whole I, that's experience. a game where, like, where I am always trying to see R Type redone and, on the 7800 and the Atari right. 800. But it was yeah. one time in the arcade that you went, you liked it. Like, we didn't go back to the arcade nope, didn't go back to play it. You're right. It right. was like, you're like, oh, okay, well, this is cool. This is what new games are. We, we did that a, a b- bunch of times and saw what it checked in, but it wasn't like it was then. Yeah, I wasn't a Street Fighter player. I wish uh, I wasn't. I didn't play any of those games. I wish I had, but it just, it was so far of our purview. We were playing, we were making computer games. We are well, I mean, we got so right after this, right after you know it came out, we got our our computer. We we went to that route. We really graduated from you know we were going to high school. We, you know, we got into music big time. Like this is really the last sort of gasp, and really it was the end of that thing that that opening of the vertical blank in 1977. Like it was the end of that first opening. You know, we went well, and did some other things. That- yeah, we had computers. We had to kind of hide it from everybody. Right, right. Because yes, like, yes. So we, if I wanted a date in high school, I did not talk about video games. No, or, there was a practical reason why we didn't go to the arcade in high school till like our senior year right. when we tried to get arrested going to the Castle Park because you didn't tell anybody you played. Same with Star Wars; it wasn't a thing. In fact, I don't remember talking about Star Wars until we were in college, and there was a survey. I think I read in the new college newspaper the first couple months we were there and it was what's everyone's favorite movie everyone's favorite movie is star wars what like yeah that's my favorite movie i didn't realize it was other people's favorite movie oh, and it all people that were exactly our age yeah or, or you know or a couple years older a couple years comes on like oh okay so this wasn't just us there was this is came well, a from bigger seven thing, to but, ten at the time or you know all 
all were in love with Star Wars. But let's I want to I want to be honest with you. There were no people didn't wear video game t-shirts. They didn't wear Star Wars t-shirts. Like no one would be caught dead wearing anything like that even into the early 90s. Like that didn't that wasn't a thing until the late 90s when Star Wars fandom came back. It's kind of like okay. I'll um, tell you another another exact place where video games and Star Wars mixed. For I think actually for Mattel, we went to we were able to somehow finagle um, to go yeah. to E3. Uh, 2002, I think. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, that and was it, the first time we got to go to E3, and we drove back and we saw the the Clone Wars. We left E3 bored, but there was the uh, the video game history of video game museum was there, and David Crane and stuff was there. It was great, but nothing else at E3 excited us, and so we left and went to go see um, a Star Wars movie. That's right, and that was cool. If we're gonna have Attack of the Clones, it should have really been about a, a war, and it, it should have been a, it, called Clone Wars. It's almost like George Lucas in those movies showed us all the boring parts of what actually happened, and all the good stuff happened in between the movies. Yeah, with all the all the other canon stuff. Yeah, that's come out. and they're like, wait a minute, like all the good stuff, like the the Clone Wars ends when the Clone Wars starts, and you're like, no, that's what I wanted to see. That's what I came here for. And then the next movie starts, and the Clone Wars are ending. You're like, no, 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 no. That's not no. That's and the, and the whole thing in the first movie is like, you fought in the Clone Wars. It's like, I fought alongside your father or whatever. It's no, like, I mean they made it. They made the 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 what you imagined in your head when Obi Wan Kenobi is talking to Luke Skywalker. And then what you saw on the screen were so vastly far apart. But I just mean it like it just did not fit. No, it, it was like didn't... Atari box art is what it was. It was like, hey, the box art is this, but the game is this. That's yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It was it was pretty terrible. I'm keeping my fingers crossed for this final Star Wars movie of these nine to come out before they start doing other I stuff. I mean, they better they better end it well. But I. They already killed me with the whole Luke thing. Um, I do plan to get Disney Plus, and they just announced that there's a um, yeah, the, um, the Mandalorian, Mandalorian, and there's going to be stuff, the Obi Wan so show. There should be good stuff on there. They're all. Yes. I think the Obi Wan one is actually a limited series, but um, well, all of those might spark a new interest in Star Wars from me. But so far, this last movie better do something because I really like it, and I listen to listen to Star Wars Seven by Seven. It's a great podcast. I want there to be more. Like I want it to be written. I want it to be something that I'm excited about. Let me ask you a question, Steve. In the arcade, did you ever destroy the Death Star? Yeah, all the time. Okay, so I don't remember destroying the Death Star. I might have. But I've destroyed the Death Star on the Atari 800 version, and um, the Death Star breaks into four pieces. I know. It's really depressing, isn't it? There's a... I forget the other version I played. I think it was on the ST, and it blows up really nicely. Yeah, that's cool. The home versions were cool, but my only problem with talking about the home versions, and, and they came out for everything, is like... The arcade one really is the epitome, and that's the one that really had the effect. Um, I don't think I played any of the home versions until much later. Uh, we didn't have the Star Wars arcade game. We did have the Empire Strikes Back one. We didn't have the Star Wars arcade game, and I still don't have a copy of the Star Wars arcade well, game. I'm looking for that. a CIB version. Yeah. Uh, Hi, this is Jeff here. A week or so ago, Steve and I got together to try out the MAME emulated version of the original Star Wars arcade game. Neither of us had played this much since the mid-80s in the local arcade. I did play one MAME session a few days earlier to get the controls set up properly, but other than that, this is the first time we've sat down together to play the original Star Wars arcade game 
in nearly 35 years. We also tested out a couple home ports of the game. What follows is an abridged version of the two-hour session. There's no way you want to sit through all of that. Some of the sound quality is rough, so it has been edited with new comments added to make clear what is going on in the session. Recording. All right, so We're doing this in MAME. In MAME, Jeff and I are going to play a head-to-head Star Wars arcade game um, session um, high score contest right now. So Jeff's starting out. Okay. He's going to put a quarter in, and now he is going to go for it. Okay. Uh, this uses an Xbox 360 controller. Red 5 standing by. Conversation is muffled by the excellent game sounds and music, so enjoy the incredible Atari Arcade Division's excellent sonic take on Star Wars from 1983 while we geek out in the background over the game. Using OBS for this, right? To record. I know. I know. Okay, they borrowed pieces too. Spectrum. A little yellow thing show on every time. Not doing it, but shooting a lot of things. In that first playthrough, I played the beginner level that just includes shooting the TIE Fighters in space and then a trench run with a relatively easy shot at the exhaust port that destroys the Death Star in a brilliant vector concentric circle explosion. Right, you get so many points for the Death Star. I'm at 64,000 already. I was at 15. See, I don't think you should. I think you should enough of them from the At this point, I'm playing the second level, and after shooting the TIE Fighters in space outside the Death Star, I am tasked with flying across the surface of the Death Star to destroy gun emplacements that are represented like simple vector bunkers. After that, another trench run. I got five shields, so maybe I can get a couple. Do not know how this was not more popular than Dragon Slayer, but I got it. Right. Alright, I'm, I'm in the trench again. Shield gun! Okay. Now it's my turn. You win. You've got to beat me. It's still recording. Five. So, my game finished and I scored 73,293. Then we listened to the great end of game music. Now it's Steve's turn to beat my score. 
And then B, right? Yes. Alright. Alright. This feels so good. Yeah, I mean, like, just the, the ability, the ability to, to fly your red and blue X-Wing and shoot green type weapons is incredible. Come on, come on! I, I, uh, he's just waiting for me to just hang it out there and shoot. Uh, I'm not doing very well this time. The test game I did way better. Okay, we're going in. Thanks, R2. Right here, Steve does a great job of giving some cool game and movie trivia during his gameplay session. I attempted to keep as much as possible while cutting this play session to a listenable amount. Steve's game playing session continues. He does a great job and gets all the way through to level three after destroying the Death Star the second time. I'm using Obi Wan. I was reading somewhere where someone said as soon as Obi-Wan said use the force loop when they were seeing Star Wars in the movie theater first time, the whole audience like like applauded because they, they wanted Luke to be a Jedi. You know, they just heard about this amazing Jedi thing and they were ready for Luke Skywalker to be one. No, 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 I don't remember anybody applauding an hour when we went to go see it in 77, but maybe they, at the end maybe... But we saw it so late. We saw it like three three months after it came out. So, really? Yeah, or something like that. It's pretty late. You got fifty nine thousand, just like me. And you're going into the. Not bad, aren't you? Do what you can do with it. Right. Come on. I picked off that little guy right there, which is you got five shields, just like me. In the surface. I, I mean, there's no way I'm gonna beat your seventy two thousand on this one. Way, way. I can't even shoot anything. It, the guns are getting hot. Yeah, no, they do. They do find It's not. This this part is definitely like um, Battle Zone, which is funny because uh, Jed Marklin, one of the designers of Battle Zone, actually designed the hardware for this. Well, I think a lot of the Battle Zone teams. Jed Jed Marklin's not happy with this game though. Yeah, he had this next this he wanted to create a real math box. I think they faked some of the math on this, which did not make him happy. Let go. Let go? What do you mean, like, I don't even know what he means by that. Well, not supposed to shoot. Oh, if you don't shoot, wait. You get, like, a bonus unit. I think I'm going to do it. I'm sorry. With three shields left and two dead stars down. I beat your score. You kicked my scores, but I have I have a hundred and nine I have a hundred nine thousand. I don't think <laughs> it's not like you're beating me in a video game. This is not that much of a trial. Playing this now, this is the best arcade game of In my opinion, my opinion. Yeah, I mean it's Star Wars. They made a Star Wars game. So Steve won the high score contest on the MAME arcade version, and then we decided to try out the Atari 2600 version in Stella, the Atari 2600 emulator. Now we're going to try to do the same high score contest with Star Wars arcade game for the Atari 2600. Okay, so Stella's there. I just need to start it up again. It lost. <laughs> Now it's, now it's 
Atari 2600 version is a lot like the arcade version with a few elements missing. They do have all of the levels, or most of them, but the controls are switched. So down is up and up is down, and it makes a little bit difficult of a transition between the arcade game and the 2600 game, but we go on in here, and if you can catch it, explain exactly what the differences are. <laughs> The controls is real. It's, yeah, you're not moving the ship, just the cursor. But it's close, you know, it's close enough compared to the 800. We can try the 800 too if we have time. Look, you're going in. Oh, look, you can, on this one, you can. It's a little difficult to catch because the 2600 sound of shooting is so loud. But we've discovered that this is a really sophisticated 2600 game. Not that close to the arcade game, but it does a lot and it's really fun. It's difficult though. I don't I keep on bumping it. I keep on bumping. No, I'm in the, I'm in the trench. I'm just not going to fire. Uh, okay, I'm, I'm just going to fire. I want to see what happens when you destroy this, this mess. I mean, it's What we're discussing here is that it's such a sophisticated game for the 2600 that if we had actually purchased it back when it came out, we would have loved it. But we had moved on to the Atari 800 by then and never had a chance to have a copy of this cartridge. I still don't have a copy of this cartridge. You'll be able to see this in the video of this gameplay session that we put up on our Into the Vertical Blank YouTube channel. But the level you play right off the bat by hitting reset on this version of the 2600 Star Wars has the outside the um, Death Star shooting, and then it has the planet shooting on top of the Death Star, and then it has the trench. The explosion is just okay, but you got some pretty good music. They did a really good job. In 82 or 83, I, I would have probably liked it, but I think it came out, what, like 85, 84, 85? Yeah. It's a little bit too late. Because we're not missing it. We decided to not have a high score contest for that game and decided to move over to the Atari 8-bit computers, the 400-800-XL-XE. There were at least a couple Star Wars games made for this system that replicated the Death Star sequence. This is the new one. Let's try that one just in case. This is the this is the one. Look, yeah, this, I mean, this is very slow. One. Yeah, it's really slow. It's one bigger sprites though. Right? Not the other one. This is the one that, that they made um, in UK like in '87 or something. Yeah. 
Although we both remember playing a really fun version of the Star Wars arcade game on the Atari 800 we had in 1984 through 1987, this definitely was not that version. Next we move on to a version that came out by Parker Brothers in around 1984. Star Wars arcade game, that makes it yes. <laughs> 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 it's entirely like the Oh shit. This looks like the same six battle coots you could. I mean some of it. What we're discussing here is that the port from the 2600 to the Atari 800 probably used a lot of the same machine language code because they used the same processor, the 6502. A lot of the gameplay seems similar. It's a little bit more advanced than Atari 800, um, but there are some things that are different. The colors are terrible on this one, even compared to the Transcendent um, one. It could be that it's a lot of There's no reason why you can't get a, a red and a Four pieces. <laughs> that's what I was saying. It's six! What was it? Six pieces. Six pieces. Okay, six pieces. Alright, that's... That's cool, but yeah, no, they definitely not, definitely the uh, <laughs> no home version. <laughs> no home version really did justice to the arcade right. version. Although this was not an exhaustive look at every single port to the home of the arcade version of the game, we did find that the Atari 2600 version, while really good for the system, was not that great compared to the arcade version. The Atari 800 versions, wow, they had terrible hit detection. So did the Atari 5200 version, which was a direct port of the Atari 800 version. Now there is an Atari ST version out there, and if we get to it, we'll show it in the video for this podcast. Just to say that Star Wars was the opening of the vertical blank. I think you're right about that. Right. I'm not going to say that when the closing was. Yeah, no, we don't. We have to, that's a, that's that. a debate for another time. In fact, for me, like I, I keep on finding new things that I like, so it could still be open. Yeah, it could still be open. But I'll say that it was the beginning of nerddom, and it, it and video games for me were playing Star Wars most of the time. There's probably some times when it wasn't, but a lot of the times that's exactly what it was because of all those little little things that George Lucas put in Star Wars that sort of even suggested video games, like that scanner when they're, when right. they're fighting the TIE Fighters and like the chess game and the other stuff that actually kind of hinted towards what video games could be, which is really cool. I don't think he did it on purpose, but I do think he did plant in our minds that idea. So in the in the end, Jeff, what do you think about the Star Wars arcade game? Do you think I want to ask you? Just pose this question to you: Do you think the Star Wars arcade game was the last great arcade game of the golden age? Nice leading question, Steve. One of them for sure. 
because you know, for me, it all started with Star Wars, and I guess for you know, for you too, you know, Vertical Blank opened with Star Wars. It didn't close with the Star Wars video game, but it certainly was one of the last great games we played in an arcade. I think to me, it was the last great game I played in the arcade. But furthermore. To me, it sort of sealed the deal. Like, because it finally let us do what we wanted to do the whole time, it put a capper on that experience, I guess. Okay, I'll tell you I'll tell you why it did. Because, especially for you and I just in particular, because the summer of 1982, Mom would give you and I and Mike Fody each $2 to go to the arcade a number Wait, of times. Why would Mom give Mike Fody money? Because Mike had no money. Oh, anyway, I, I didn't realize she did that. Yeah, Mom cool. would... So Mo, Mike Fody would come with us, and we'd go to the arcade one a bunch of times then mike left oh yeah and you and i didn't necessarily have anyone to go to the arcade with all the time so it should be just you and i and then eventually we got the atari 800 between those two times so then there was the arcade games that came out the supercharger that came all the things that happened including the star wars arcade game food fight and for me space duel all those games came out but then we got an atari 800 yeah, we didn't need to go to the arcade anymore, I guess. There, in fact, we be, we were ending that year of eighth grade when we probably went to the arcade a little bit. I'm sure we did. You oh, know, I, it, I, it, yeah, even I know in, we did. Even in 84, we were ending that year. But then freshman year of high school started and everything changed. Yeah, it did change. So really, it, was, it wasn't just that it put a capper on it. It also opportunistically came at a time when we weren't going to go anymore anyway. So whether right. it did... Whether it was sort of the final summation or whether it just acted as it because the timing was right for us, either way, it happened. Yeah, the timing just had to be there. All the free time that we had had was gone when we were running track and cross country. Yeah, we didn't, right. When we got to high school, there was so much else going on. We kind of moved on from those, from actually from going, going to the arcade. Yeah, going We there. would do it at home, do it at home, and um, when we could, right? Wouldn't tell anyone about it. We'd make some, actually, we would bring, for a couple of years after that, would come over. He had a Commodore 64. He'd tell us how great the Commodore 64 was, and we would go to the arcade or maybe do something, but then he just disappeared in high school, and um, we didn't necessarily have another total computer buddy, except Except for it was like Eric Barth down the street with his Apple IIe when we had time. Very little know, by that point. Very little by that time. So do you remember, Jeff, something else that happened in eighth grade? They opened that magic pizza place. Yes. They opened magic and, pizza. And that's a, actually a subject for another day. But that was a big arcade that opened, but you could only go there if you were over 18 or with your parents, which was really yes. weird. And in our hometown, not where the Castle Park was, no. which is just a but, mile away. But I, I, I think I Video games were outlawed. Arcades were outlawed. Yeah, arcades were outlawed where we lived, which is hilarious, but that's the truth. None have ever opened there either. So I, I think that that also, the fact that the arcade opened and we couldn't go there on our own, even though we were like 14 years old, was right. was a little disconcerting, but also just made me kind of like throw up my hands. And then we had our Atari 800, but I think that all those events at the same time led to the fact that Star Wars was also over as a movie series. The game right. came out that said, look, you can finally play what you always wanted to play. And we kind of grew out of it. At the same time, yeah, not yeah. grew out of the vertical blank, but grew out of that era all at once, which I think for us is pretty opportune. And I think it actually stands as like a highlighted event in the vertical blank period. Right, because we got we got what we needed, which was to be able to control the system 
and that was the Atari 100 computer. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm going to say that you make putting a really that... good point. Part of the whole thing with Star Wars was, or wanting to then get into computers was controlling the system, and there we were. We could actually do it. When we, we could program in BASIC, I think we had that BASIC cartridge in more often than any game that we'd play. You know, we'd get games, play Blue Max, we had lots of games. Not say we didn't, but that BASIC cartridge and that 810 disk drive with disks that we would store stuff on we were programming was in there more often than game playing. Oh, yeah. We were programming all the time, which was us controlling the system. And that became more important, you know, almost like... I'm not going to say we grew out of video games because we never did, no. not necessarily, but we, we grew into the ability to start controlling our own destiny, and that was part of that thing. And maybe that's kind of, you know, the lesson of Luke Skywalker, too. I mean, he in the movie, he grows into controlling his own destiny, too. And maybe, you know, like right. I said, he was our avatar the whole time. Well, maybe the ability to actually do what he did kind of led, you know, some sort of mentally into us being able to grow up and do our own thing at the same time. Yeah, and that was over. And it, it ended, uh, it, Star Wars, you know, Return of the Jedi, ended on two notes. It ended on a relatively happy note, but it also ended with a thud because it was a happy ending, which is great. That's That was what I was looking for, but the movie was kind of a thud. Oh, you're talking about Return of the Jedi. Yeah, Return of the Jedi. And it was over. By that, in 1983, it's over. And, and it's actually literally over because it didn't capture the, enough attention for us to really want to collect the cards and things. It was good. It worked. It was over. Um, yeah. And now so this year, but, but and now we this have year, the ability to relive the first movie and the third movie kind of was just like, okay, whatever. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so it yeah, was over we, too. Yes. It was. It was all sort of. We grew out of all of it, and I mean, we grew back into it later. But yeah, when you got older, we, it was nostalgia purposes. And, but I, um, I think I like that idea that we. You know, we, you know, Luke Skywalker taught us that you could control your destiny, and we learned how we could control our own too after we got our computer, and we sort of take took that lesson into the future. That's pretty cool. Thanks yeah. for making make me realize that, Jeff. There's a whole point yeah. to this episode, after all. There was a point that Star Wars and being able to program the computer let us control our own destiny and prove to us that it was possible. Before yeah. that, everything else was controlled by somebody else. And then we could finally control it. That's cool, man. Hey, Jeff, yeah. we haven't done one of these in a long time. Uh, watching, playing, reading. Okay, so we just finished programming. You know, accidentally, I heard about the TV show Fleabag, and Jeannie and I watched both seasons, and then suddenly it won a bunch of Emmys. Um, it's a really hilarious show that's on Amazon. Um, and also watching, well, I'm gearing up for the Breaking Bad movie that's coming out on October 11th. I'm gearing up for the Lakers season, trying to figure out how I watch it without having the Lakers channel anymore, but there's a lot of games on TNT and TBS, which is probably enough for me. What about you? What are you watching, Steve? Okay. It's difficult for me to say watching because the answer is not a lot lately. I watched it, the the five hours of the, of the movie from 2017, the movie from 2019, the movie theater. It was just okay. Uh. My kids have been watching a lot of Glee, is three or on, four, which are not that good. What streaming, um, what streaming is it on? This is on Netflix. Oh, okay. And then they're also, funnily enough to me, 
watching Magic's Secrets Revealed, but from a whole different angle than we used to. Because if you watch that now, all the sequences with Mitch Poliggi talking about the helpers, the female helpers, and the magi mass magician are so inappropriately a, horrible in the, in a, the light of today. It's almost incredibly difficult to watch. Like, the female assistants have no agency, all so predatory when you listen to it, and the tricks are stupid, too. A better okay. show to watch than that because of that is the Fooled with Penn and Teller. Oh, yeah. And yeah. because they have, fe they actually have female magicians come on who are awesome and they aren't sure. just. The whole thing isn't about like being distracted by a girl's butt. Okay, yeah, so, I mean, that was just dumb. Um, but anyway. I do so, like those shows, though, but they. They're, but they're laughing, is, but they're kind of laughing at that now. So, yeah. anyway. Uh, what do you what do you playing? Uh, playing yeah. I've been playing all the games of Exocet for the Atari ST. There were five games that came out that were all programmed pretty much by the same team, um, by Exocet in 1988. Do you have a little history of them as well? I I haven't been able to find too much history. I have. Are you sure to... there's not a history in Retro Gamer? Oh geez, no. No, no, no. I'm looking around for a history of Exocet. I hopefully there'll be something by the time we make the podcast about it. But I've played these are the games I've played. Basically, Exocet they made games for other systems too. So the games are Foundations Waste, Hellraiser, Hyperdrome, Phantasm, and Pursuit to Earth. So I remember having Hyperdrome and Foundations Waste. I have to look at them again. So this is the thing. The oh no, I remember having Power Drum. We had Power Drum. Well, I remember so having Foundations Waste. This is a team that, that turns out they did have another name and you can find it. Yeah, I can find it. It's on, um, it's definitely on. Moby Games has a lot of information that's been input by people about these games now. So you can find a little more information than is on Atari Mania. But for the most part, there was a guy, there's Wally Beban was a guy who, who did all the music. This guy named Martin Bush along with other people, did the game design and the programming. We've got another guy named Errol Ellison and a guy named Alan Tompkins. And basically, throughout all the games, those guys' names show up. Other names show up here and there. Wally Beban went on to be like this incredible Amiga pro Oh, programmer. good. That's, that's a good he, his only, he made a lot of... He actually did a lot of ST music, too. Like His ST music spans... Three or four, three like seventy-five games on um, on here, plus a lot on the Amiga. So he went on. Some of the other guys didn't go on and do too much more, but his music is great. So the reason I'm playing those is to sort of get a history and kind of go through a company that was really early in our Atari ST finding games in Europe sort of phase. Anyway, so that's what I'm playing. What about you? You've been playing anything interesting? Um, so my shoulder is still in immense pain all the time. My right shoulder, which makes literally pressing game buttons extremely painful. It's almost like divine retribution from all the video game characters that I've blown up. That now when I try to blow them up, it hurts me physically to do it by pressing the button. But I've managed to play some uh, pinball arcade on the ps4 and i broke out the vectrex to make some videos and was having fun playing oh, yeah. the vectrex is awesome my i actually came home from playing a vectrex session at your house and i played it on the retro pie yeah i don't know how much 
I still think playing it on the original hardware is best, but it's really hard to take video of that. Like no matter what, my face is in the video. Well, you no matter what play, I try. I think if you play it if you want to record it, you're fine. But if you want to do more, then you could always put it on. Um, you could always emulate it and do a recording also. Like what I did for one of the Atari ST games is I recorded it, but I had a lot of problem with glare. Um, and positioning the camera so then I actually went and recorded a second session which was emulated put it afterwards so you could see the graphics a little better oh, that's cool. um, but the but the comments were hey um, it's better just for you to record it off the machine that's much more fun just like you were saying so it's like, I, I think so too. because there are lots of you can get lots of emulated video online so right. it's really like whatever right like the cool thing about it is um doing it the way we're doing it is you get to hear the tactile buttons being pressed the, the, the from the from the uh it's like the actual machine or something. yeah yeah so yeah. you're you're playing with the actual vetrex and i'm actually clicking the mouse and showing like my setup which is the ultra satan setup and everything so it's cool i'm gonna go on to reading because okay. i'm currently reading three books at the same time i'm reading the actual the actual non-fiction book of black Klansman, which is pretty good it's basically the story of the black cop who yeah. infiltrated the KKK, which is awesome. Um, so it's a good story. I am reading Steve Russian's sequel to his book, Stingray Afternoons, called... It's a sequel? It's a sequel to his memoir, um, Stingray Afternoon, called Knights in White Castle. And it's about oh um, it's it's about him in you know, high school and college and it's it's really good because he makes this incredible, incredibly insightful. Because I guess he he became a sports writer. I didn't know him from anything except for read book. He makes this incredibly insightful analogy about him loving Stratomatic baseball as a kid, and other kids playing Dungeons and Dragons, and how it was the exact same thing. Yeah, exactly. It's the same thing. So it's just it's all your numbers and rolling your dice to see. Who does what? Fantasy and, football is basically Dungeons and Dragons with football players. I it is it is it's, it, it that's exactly what it is. But it's 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 interesting that he made that. Oh, and then I'm reading one other book. I am reading the you know last week there was that half story Gary Kitchen about making Donkey Kong. Oh, yeah, how how everyone was mad at him about Donkey Kong. I got the book by David L. Craddock. That is the story of that plus a bunch of other stories and it's great um so Steve, i have it on really my hand right it. now it's part of my watching play and reading it is fully 600 pages long this is a book like it's a fantastic book it's a great book yes um it has a weird binding and a weird printing of different sizes and it, and it feels like it's self-published but like the writing is not self-published writing the writing is did you get, super how's your, uh, what do you mean the binding uh, because mine feels like it i got like an mine feels like it came straight off like the the printing press from from a big no, company it, it's just the it's just like the cover and stuff feels a little amateurish oh, okay and, I, and and but I, but i don't think it's self-published because if it is self-published it depresses me the quality of work that needs to be self-published now right exactly yeah. well it may be, i think is it is it british i don't know i don't know um, okay. He see I had him. He's uh, I follow him on um, on uh, well on uh, Twitter now. It's we, great. Well, into the vertical blank. Oh, so also we made a video. I made a video of the Star the going to see Star Wars the character story at Toys R Us for YouTube. 
we don't get a lot of people going to do look at our YouTube videos, but we've got a bunch there. Yeah, we got to get a couple of the stories have been turned into videos from from uh, into the Rogue Blank and a bunch of just extra content that we do videos of you Vectrex games and Atari ST and Atari 800 games. We want to cover all the Atari platforms because that's what we do. Yeah, exactly. And and Vectrex isn't an Atari platform, but it's a it's a vertical blank platform for sure. Well, absolutely. Except there is no vertical blank in the Vectrex. So, have is... you been programming anything for fun? I have not. Uh, oh, I started a couple weeks ago. I was working on a seventy eight hundred game. Me too. The game is about searching our old house for money to go buy fireworks for the bicentennial. Oh, it's called bicentennial. That's right. And it's about it's about doing odd jobs and then finding money and then getting enough money to buy fireworks. And the idea is, it's base. It's sort of like the idea, even though I haven't gotten very far in it. It's sort of like uh, Winter Games or California Games, where you you walk around the house and in each room there's a little event you have to take care of. That's awesome. And, and or some places it's just to find things. And then, then once you finish all the events, you, your money calculates, and that's how much, how many fireworks you can buy. Then the fireworks show at the end is based on how many fireworks you're able to buy. Play the one sit, sitting for like an hour or something. I started on the seventy eight hundred, and then I I quickly, after being annoyed by the pallets and everything and the size of my ship, I moved back to the ST because the Atari STE here calls me. It calls to me. I know. I want to program the ST. And the thing about it is because it has the blitter and you can anybody can play those emulated and it has the, the digital sound that I want to be able to tap into. And I know that my first beginning ones are going to be with Stoss and the, the way to hit those. Um, I see so many. I've been playing so many ST games just to do evaluations of them. And there's so many terrible games that even, even could have been programmed better just if they... The same guys were same guys that did Foundations Waste just did the game, but and so I want to I want to replicate. It's like I feel like it's my goal to replicate. To I'm not to replicate to but to make that all better by making the arcade games that I want to make, but on the Atari ST with being in the with the with the with all the bells and whistles of the digital sound and the yeah. Blur. And I'm torn. I I, I like I just I, I just. I so feel like the 7800 is the the long lost Atari system, is the system that's sort of lost in the vertical blank, like lost in the Twilight Zone, and I just I want to make a game for it. Well, until I have a way to plug it in and play my game on a cartridge, I'm not going to make one. That's all I okay. have. So I need I need to get Cuddle Cart Two Cuddle, and because it just is like I play an emulation. Well, that's fine. Let me try. Oh, I can't try it on the machine. Like I just get so annoyed that I can't play it on the machine. So, but yeah. Anyway, um, okay. So, um, any okay, final so thoughts for the no, end of our episode? I think, I think that's been enough. And there you have it, the end of part two of Into the Vertical Blank, Star Wars and Atari in the Vertical Blank. That was Season 2, Episode 12. And now, for a little musical treat that I created in about year 2000 about Star Wars. Thanks for listening. Into the Vertical Blank. Into the Vertical Blank. The Star Wars.
Monsters of Star Wars. Han and Chewie. Han and Chewie. Jedi. Jedi. The fine princess Dia Organa. Stood the Star Wars! Stood the Star Wars! Prepare to write new data, V blank ending. An 8-Bit Rocket Studios production.